Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week's guest is Dion Gooding. Dion started her career designing clothes for African weddings. And then when there were no more weddings because of the pandemic, she did a sort of epic pivot and her side hustle turned into a profitable business that grew and then got picked up by Selfridges. And in the middle of all that, she had a baby and became a mom. Listen to how she handled it all. And even better than that, is enjoying the ride. Would you like me to shut the window? The seagulls are mating on the roof. Oh, I think that's quite nice, actually. Yeah, they're okay, not bothering me. It's <laughs> not doing me any harm. Hopefully it's okay with the listeners that we've got some seagulls having it off in the background. It sets the tone. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the seaside, seaside ambience. Welcome to the podcast, Dion. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you here. So first of all, Dion, I've known you a little while. For people who haven't, um, how do you describe your work? Uh, so my work is African-inspired, uh, handmade apparel. But when we first met, um, I was designing shoes, lady shoes at the time, isn't it? I think I just moved on to baby shoes. Yeah, baby shoes, but still with um, still using African fabrics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And specifically West African, is that right? Yeah, West African fabrics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us about how you got into that. Um, so I got into it. I it was random actually. So I met this lady and she asked me, she was a Ghanaian lady and it was her 60th birthday party. And she was like, Oh, she really wants she knew that I sewed. So she was like, Oh, she really wants a um shoe covered in their traditional cloth contained material. And she was like, Can you do it? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> I've never it's done quite it. Quite hard, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I can do it. And then afterwards, like she gave me about three months or something, so I had a long time. So I was like, oh my gosh, now I've got to figure out how to. Um, Did you get paid in advance? I got a deposit. Yeah, pet, pet, get the deposit, <laughs> celebrate, then have three months worrying how to work out how to make shoes. Exactly. So um, yeah, so I figured it out. I did a, a, a bit of practicing throughout that time, and um, yeah, I managed to do it. So, and then after that, I remember posting it. I used to use Facebook a lot at the time then. And after that, I posted it on my Facebook. And then loads of other people started um, messaging me saying, oh, I've got a party. Can I give you my material to cover my shoe? And all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it started off like that. And um, West African weddings, there's a culture of a tradition of um, having the same fabrics that are used across whole families. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So you don't necessarily, if you can get, there's a way of um, selling up, as we say in the trade, upselling. You can, if you if the grandma wants her shoes done, you could maybe get involved and kit out an entire family for a wedding. Although that's a lot of pressure, come to think of it. Got to get that yeah, right. It is a lot. It is a lot. But yeah, that's basically how it works. Everybody has the same um, material from each family and um, and they love to match like head to toe. They love matchy, matching. Matchy. <laughs> so they'll be like, oh, I want a matching shoe and bag to like match my dress. So um, yeah. And more than one outfit, right? They change a lot. There's yeah. A, they, they don't hold back. No, yeah, they really do. Um, they no, just celebrate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Tell me how um, you decided to make a business of it. Do you have anyone entrepreneurial in your family or any encouragement or did you just enjoy doing it and have a punt? Um, well, my uncle, actually, he is a, he still has a hat factory in Birmingham. So he makes leather hats and um, he was funded by the Prince's Trust. And I always knew that, like when I was younger, and his factory used to be first it used to be in their living room and then after once he expanded um he got like a workshop so I was around that a lot and he's in Birmingham so yeah I used to spend a lot of my time my childhood in Birmingham so that kind of showed you that it's possible yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and did you have you ever studied it Uh, I studied textiles at university and then I went on to do like footwear making and design courses at London College of Fashion after. How was it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. I did. I loved it. Yeah. What's studying fashion like? Is there lots of people sort of wrapped in bacon and foil and with arrows on their heads, that kind of thing? Well, when I done my, um, what was it called? My foundation, my art and design yeah. foundation. And that was at Central St. Martins. Yeah. So when I went there, everyone wacky, was, wacky. yeah, real wacky, real, real. Like before, you know, like now a lot of people are wearing coloured hair. But back yeah. then there weren't many, except for those that went to my um, my college. <laughs> and just wrapped in sort of knitted, knitted bikinis in winter, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Necklaces made out of a fish supper, platform <laughs> shoes, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, all of that. <laughs> Good. So was it word of mouth in those days? Yeah, because like when I think back, it, I realise how long I've been doing it, but it was literally Facebook and word of mouth. Mm. And like, obviously, when these parties are so big and obviously um, other guests would see that, you know, their yeah. friends, yeah. you know, it's head to toe in the same material and be like, oh, I want a shoe. Oh, I've got a party. I've got a birthday coming up and that kind of thing. Or I've got a wedding and um, they would pass over my details and um yeah, I had loads of uh, loads and loads and loads of orders for like customizing shoes. How did um, how did you know how to work out all the cash flow and all these kind of things that you understand now? Um, Prince's Trust. So they, I um, got funded by the Prince's Trust, and I got a mentor um, who was um, like from a finance background, actually, which I needed because I'm terrible at that part. <laughs> but um she really helped me um you know plan the cash flow and the forecasting and all of that in the early days that's great and how how did you know to get the princess trust grant oh because your uncle my uncle yeah Yeah. that's how I first found out about it 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite an amazing organisation. I'm not a big royalist. Um, that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> I'm a, um, yeah, I'm a Republican, really. Um, but having said that, um, the the Prince's Trust is quite different to a lot of organisations I've come across supporting young um entrepreneurs because they're quite action-based and they give you the money quite readily don't they mm-hmm. yeah so, so many organizations that give out government grants and I've experienced this all through my career up until last week when I got knocked back for a government grant it's extremely annoying another one the second one this year and um, there's so much admin and red tape and I just think oh my god you need a PhD to even be able to do this application some of them make you go to workshops to learn how to fill in the application who's got time to do that so annoying or they turns out that it's not a grant and they just refund you 10p on the 10,000 pounds of your own money you have to spend anyway I have a big chip on my shoulder about this but what I like about the prince's trust is that you don't have to do that do you? you can kind of fill in the form get a chunk of money quite quickly and they get you moving. I'm really pleased. I'm pleased to hear that. And um, what did what did you spend the money on? How did you get things moving? So to start with, first they um, we just got like a small grant of like a couple hundred pounds, and then it was all about flyers and business cards. And um, so analog, <laughs> analog yeah. marketing. I feel so. You know, like saying it, I feel so old. I'm, I'm like, so... <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like flyers, like we don't really do that <laughs> do you know what I mean let's find out buckers you know what a flyer is <laughs> a flyer like a, li- a leaflet yes that's how Dion advertised yeah. her business in the olden days oh, did you deliver them by hand Dion <laughs> yeah all by hand <laughs> wow that must have taken ages <laughs> yeah it did oh, it really did yeah but it kind exactly. of worked as well it did it did kind of work mm-hmm. yeah the, yeah it did the, work Everything wasn't as crowded in those days, so you wouldn't have had so much competition. Now, if they'd be Googling um, who can make shoes for the wedding, they'll be able to find many more people. So you had a captive audience in a different way. Yeah, that's true. That is true, actually. As that grew, did you have any ambitions to sort of join the mainstream fashion world? Um, Yeah, at the time, like, I, after I... um, like customizing shoes I moved on to um like getting my shoes manufactured and then like there was a time where I really wanted to be um you know you know like one of those stores on the high street in Oxford Street when Oxford Street was Oxford Street (laughs) kind of thing Mm. um yeah so there was a time where I really wanted that and um really wanted to connect with buyers and all that kind of thing. Cause I guess back then that was the way, isn't it? Like, yes. even though we had the internet, it wasn't what it you is now. You didn't have direct to, to consumer business models. And so getting them into stores or having a little shop of your own were your two options really. Yeah, exactly. And they're yeah. both terrible options as you know now. Exactly. They're basically, well, they're great um, options if you want to set fire to your own money. <laughs> But um, if you actually want to retain control of your creativity and lead a happy life and um, stay in the black, they're both terrible options. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I did really want to shop as well at one, at one stage. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. How, how, how did you learn that that was, you know, what, what the reality of what that kind of stuff takes? The costs. 
Yeah. Like, just I start think... slowly losing money over time yeah. and then just getting confused and then losing a bit more money. Exactly. And I had a friend who opened up a store actually as well. I used to sell my um, shoes in her store and she used to like tell me a lot about how much she's spending and how she was struggling and that kind of thing. And, mm. you know, like the amount of sales you make a day compared to like the rent, the electricity and all that that it costs. So, um, you know, after hearing that for a while... <laughs> Or no, maybe it's not the way forward. So she, because she went through that pain, you didn't have to. Mm-mm, basically. <laughs> you know, um, Olivia Morris, you, you may have met through real work. She, um, uh, Olivia came on the podcast and she had a sort of a moment in time in the 90s when her shoes really got picked up and she lived that dream that you're describing. And she had this little um, shoe shop on the Portobello Road and, and, um, you know, models and all the trendy people used to walk around her shoes, and she was she was absolutely hot, um, hot property. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to swear so much so that Buckers doesn't have so much beeping to do. Um, she was hot property, Buckers, and um, from the outside, just was a tremendous success and in vogue and things like that. And then on the podcast, she talked about what that was like behind the scenes, and um, it was pretty grueling. So. Yeah, it's um, it was hard, but happily. And then, of course, the the sort of grip of the big retailers and the margins that they take, because that's the other thing that people don't understand. They think that yeah. if you get your shoes in Harvey Nichols and then, then you 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 can um, buy yourself a house and stop working. It's not true, is it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not true. Reality bites. Mm-hmm. Happily, the internet was invented, um, thanks, Mr. Berners Lee, and um lots of clever people found ways to sell directly to customers, which has also during the pandemic has really boomed. Direct to customer models are really a thing and you can sell work directly to people now. How has that changed things for you? It makes things a lot easier, like heaps easier because um, as well, like I used to do a lot of events as well. So I would... Like trade shows, yeah, well, not trade shows, but they were um, like natural hair events. So mm-hmm. where the main focus was selling like um, products for Afro hair, but then they'd have like a retail section as well. And I've done a lot of those in Paris and here in the UK. And the ones in Paris like were amazing. I used to sell loads um, in the earlier in the earlier days. Um, and then I had one. I, the last one I did was absolutely awful. So I haven't been back since. <laughs> and there's costs to be there, right? yeah yeah but the thing is the way I think I don't know if it's the way they're shot or the way the event was promoted but they like I'd literally go there with like three suitcases full of shoes and come back with like empty suitcases like it was it was amazing but um and but then I built up my um database in France like through doing those events and then after that I um kind of concentrated on selling online to those customers and selling um, on like French websites and that kind of thing as well. So yeah, it's made life loads loads easier. This um, don't you agree, Buck? Is that this sounds like you sound really resourceful and really ambitious to be getting? I wouldn't know like how to get into. Would you know how to get you know into France and get into those events? And I'd be daunted that it wasn't. Um, they weren't, you know, they was in a different country. Did you find those things intimidating or did you just naturally feel confident to do that? 
No, I didn't find it intimidating, actually. I think, um, yeah, I, I feel like the older I get, the more intimidated I'm, I'm getting by really? things. Yeah, but like then, I never used to think about it. I'd like hear about the events. I think I went first, actually, because I had a friend that lived there. And then I went to an event and I saw it and I was like, oh, I really want to do this. And then I got the details and then did it the following year and then went on to do a few others as well. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't intimidated at all. I was, I was just quite excited. It's <laughs> a good thing. And um, did you have other people who were doing a similar thing in your space, like other in your space? That's what they call it. Your space. Who else was in your space, you know, making a similar thing or who did you look up to or look around and see? There were other, um, were there other brands? There were other brands, but they did more um, like kind of like Converse type shoes, like pumps. Yeah. Not high heels. So I was doing high heels a lot. But then as time went by, there were like a few other brands that started to come up who um, did do like high heel African print shoes. Were you enjoying it, that Lysa? Yeah, I did enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. And then life changed a little bit when you sort of settled down. Yeah, a lot. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, so I feel like, I don't know, I think because maybe I got pregnant before the, just before COVID, literally just before COVID. So I feel like life has changed loads because those two things happened like at the same time. So um, obviously before I just used to get up and go, anywhere and visit factories or sell all over the place but um now there's a lot of thinking involved and that's kind of why I that's another reason why I decided to change my business model so um firstly the factory closed down because of covid and then I just thought I can't really imagine getting up and going to Italy or Spain like within a few days if I need to visit a factory whilst I've got a baby so I um, kind of, you know, pivoted into like customizing clothes and making masks at the time, which really works for me now because I've got like my workshop at home. So obviously I can just come downstairs, whereas if I had a studio, like I wouldn't be able to do work in the middle of the night and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a, a lot has changed. So a lot of thinking, a lot, a lot less time now. And uh a lot more planning <laughs> from the outside you seem to make that um change in quite a light and nimble way when the factory first said that it wasn't manufacturing anymore did you feel relaxed about that change or was it a panic initially um I panicked but like I felt like this was the first time that I had a really good connection with the manufacturer that I'd been to Italy and I'd met him um and we had spoken quite a lot of times on the phone and stuff. And I got these amazing samples done. So I really felt like I was probably the most organized and most ready I had been with a collection. Um, but I was just so grateful that I hadn't paid my deposit. I procrastinated <laughs> with my deposit, which I was should have paid, but because of my procrastination paid off once. And um, so by chance you hadn't paid it. Yeah. So I was just more grateful that I, um, I didn't hand my money over, really. What a relief for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you would have been that person going, excuse me, um, hi, yes, <clears throat> excuse me, is there, any, is there any chance? 
few. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The um, masks, I remember when people first started making masks, it seemed like such a novelty, didn't it? And yeah. I remember at the time thinking, well, there's no point bothering to make the patterns for them because we'll only need them for five minutes. That was wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a bad trend prediction from Fleur Emery because you ended up making a lot of them. Yeah, loads. I spent like most of my um, preg my whole summer <laughs> and pregnancy making masks. Yeah, to the point where I got fed up with making masks. You were sick of them. <laughs> yeah, I was sick of the sight of them. <laughs> Did you see that clip of Mary Portas talking on um, the Mother Pucker podcast that she's been sending out on Instagram? It's really good. Mary Portas, who um, was talking about when she was young and worked at Harvey Nichols, how in those days, if you had a kid, you basically had to pretend you didn't and would just be working really long days and... Um, sort of running into someone's office, there's no mobile phones, running into someone's office and then sort of hiding if you needed to phone home and check on your kid and pretend you weren't and sort of use code to um, cover up the fact that um, you had a kid because you would be afraid of being sacked or being penalised. How, um, how has the adjustment been for you? What kind of... It's always surprising what kind of mum we are, aren't we? When you said, it's interesting, when you said, um, you know, I, I realised that I wouldn't want to just sort of like dash off to Milan or to Spain to a shoe factory at a moment's notice. But of course, some mums do. Some mums do do that. Mm -hmm. how, how, how did you turn into the kind of mum you thought you'd be or did you surprise yourself? Um, what did I think? I... To be honest, I think maybe years before I thought that like nothing would change, <laughs> but I think as soon as as soon as I had as soon as I had um, Isaiah, even before I realised that like I, I was wrong, <laughs> things are going to change. Like and as well, like I just think time and energy. I don't have. I don't know where I'd find the energy to actually travel and then come back and you know, look after a baby. So if I had a nanny, if I lived that life where I had a nanny, then yeah, it'd be a bit different, a lot different. We, we do want that life if we could just drop one round there now to live with you and look after him so that you could get on a plane just the whole time so that, so that he goes to her and you're popping in and out. No. I mean, uh, what I would like a nanny to say for... no, Dan, you're supposed to say no a bit faster than that. <laughs> No, because you know why it's been. Oh, maybe I would. No, not for that. But he's struggling. We're struggling to get him to stay in the cot. And a cousin of mine is a nanny, and she was like, she was like, oh, do you Yeah, she wouldn't struggle. He'd be in the cot. Exactly. And she was like, you know, she's like, sometimes I I do night nanny, and then she said, and she like kind of teaches the baby to stay in the cot, and I and that's when I was like, oh, that now that nanny I could deal with. Like I could deal with that. I could do with that. Just move her in. Just yeah, go yeah. and stay at the Ibis Hotel for a few nights <laughs> and then just come back exactly. and he'll be in the cop. <laughs> yeah, those things are so funny, those changes. Yeah. And um, tell me about um, Selfridges. Yeah, so Selfridges happened. That, that was just, enough, like when I, when I, after I had Isaiah, you know, when you're just up all hours of the night 
And I just used yeah. to come up with like random brainwaves all the time, <laughs> literally. Like every time I get into bed, I'll say to my husband, I've got this idea, I've got that idea, I've got this, like constantly every night. And then um, one day I came up with this Selfridges idea. And, um, but I didn't think Selfridges, I thought a department store. And I've got a um, business mentor and I told him, but I didn't really think anything of it because it was constant. My ideas were just, you know, it was a constant thing. And then he was like, he was like, no, that's like a really good idea. And then he was like, um, you know, it would sit really well in department stores. And he's like, like, what's your favorite department store? Like, where would you want it? And I was like, well, Selfridges is like my favorite store. So Selfridges. And he was like, okay. What What was the pitch? What did you tell your mentor that you wanted to do? Um, I told him that I wanted to design um, clothes in store. So like how I do it, but design it in store and um and have like everything set out so you could kind of design your own um, t-shirt. And so, um, yeah. And then when I told him Selfridges, he was like, okay. He's like, well, why don't you put together a presentation? And then um, he said, you know, I'll have a talk, speak to like some people that I know and see whether or not I can get your contact. And I was like, okay, cool. So then I'd put a presentation together. And, um, and then he found a contact through somebody that he knows. And he was like, oh, this guy... I, um, a friend of mine gave me this email address, but he never responds. Apparently, the hardest person to get hold of, and he was like, um, "You know, send the email. Um, all you got to do is send it. It doesn't matter. At least you know you've sent it." And then, obviously, I wasn't going to send it because I thought, "What's the point? He's not going to reply." <laughs> but um, I knew that I was seeing him like in two days' time, so I thought I can't have a call with him and tell him I didn't send the email. So then I sent it, and then the next morning, I was like bathing Isaiah, and I saw um a email pop up on my phone from Selfridges and I was literally just scre- screaming. He, he started screaming like <laughs> we were both screaming in the bathroom. Yay! <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, they replied. <laughs> they wanted to see you and it happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Tell us about how, what that experience was like for you. Um, so after that, he connected me with like the director, like fashion director. And then we booked a meeting and um, I just kind of told him my idea and he said, um, and then he told me that he didn't really think that my idea would work in store, but he really liked my designs and um, said, you know, maybe you can do a range based on their, um, their theme for Christmas. So I was like, okay, sounds good. So he said um, he would send me the, um, like the vision board, and um, if I can come up with some designs, then they will pick them and pick the ones that they like and then buy them from me. So like it literally went on for months. Like I came up with so many, so many ideas. <laughs> and did they did they say no to some of them? Yeah. Yeah. They said like, no to quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel suspicious of them? You know, some people, there's a lot of stories going around, aren't there? Small brands doing yeah. meetings like that. And then the work appears in there, but no payment transpires. Exactly. Yeah. They, like I did feel suspicious a lot. And then I felt, and because I hear all these stories and then I'd say to my mum, I was like, what if they do this? What if they do that? Yeah. And she was like, well, you're not going to know unless you, you've just got to try it really and see. And then I was pleasantly surprised by like how nice they were. Do you know what I mean? And how like smoothly it all went. Cause I just thought there's going to come a time where they're going to be like, you know, we want it for five pounds <laughs> per t-shirt or something. So. Had they, uh, did you discuss the price at the front end or was that further down the line? 
um we discussed it briefly in the beginning um but I did say to them like because based on the designs that I came up with they wanted things to be a lot more intricate so I was like you know I'm happy to do it but the time it takes the price is going to be higher kind of thing and um yeah they just said they're fine with that just come up with whatever ideas I think and then they will make a selection so yeah so it was a positive experience in the end yeah really positive dealing with them and Mm -hmm. outward facing how did it affect your business well that was literally my focus for like months I couldn't I didn't do anything else really I just um, in terms of prestige though does it did it mean that the phone's now we want a happy ending John is the phone ringing off yeah yeah like it's you know like people who every obviously everybody knows that I design but it's just weird that people that wouldn't buy from you before go to buy your range in Selfridges when I'm the same person who's been making things you know what I mean it's so yeah it's it's like you know people will promote it because it's in Selfridges but I feel like I need more promotion for my products that are not in Selfridges (laughs) yeah yeah because Selfridges obviously push it so yeah it's weird how people I don't know behave that it gives you some yeah they they gives a mark of approval yeah yeah but then again, you wanted it in Selfridges for that reason. You know, that's your favourite store because you have an experience of going there and it feels good and you like the things they choose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's true. Kind of, it's just part of that system, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can I ask you a, ju- a big chunky question now? We like Let's drop a big chunky one in before um, we um, get to a fluffy ending. Mm-hmm. So um, yesterday on Instagram... There was, so basically, we're going to just um, ask a question, Dion, about how your, what your experiences of being um, a black woman founder in the light of the last couple of years in the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. And the specifically, mm-hmm. yesterday on Instagram, someone shared a clip, was really amazing, of... Um, Dr. Blay, Dr. Yabba Blay, who um, is an author of One Drop, Shifting the Lens on Race, and she's an academic. She was on a podcast with a famous American woman called Glennon Doyle, who you may or may not. Have you read her book, Annabelle? Do you know who she is? No, I haven't read it, but I, I'm, yeah, I've, I know who she is. Yeah, she did that amazing TED Talk, didn't she? That's very, very popular. Yes, and she's... Um, and she she was she's basically a white woman. She got another podcast with another white woman, and they invited on Dr. Blay and asked a question along the same kind of lines about um, um, the. There's a recent story in the paper about a young girl in a school who was um, illegally searched and traumatized by police. Anyway, and she absolutely schooled them and flamed. <laughs> she flamed them in sort of basically sort of saying, you know, when white women cry, the world stops. When when black women cry, you know, no one cares. You have no idea and I don't want to hear it and just keep your mouth shut and listen. 
It's really good. Okay, I'll have to have a look. Really, yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link. <laughs> yeah, I'll send please. you the link. Mm-hmm. And it's it's how how does that kind of stuff resonate with you? There's a lot of white fragility at the moment, isn't there? There's a lot of on the back of the Black Lives Matter movement. There's a lot of women like me bringing this subject up at the drop of a hat, asking my black friends about it. What does that? Ha- well, how has that been from your side? Um, well, from my side, I say. Obviously, for me, like these things that black women experience, like it's like it's just standard, you know, from growing up, like Mm -hmm. our parents have always told us, you know, you have to work 10 times as hard. And um, and like even like giving birth, you know, I thought, you know, there's that stats of like how many black women Mm -hmm. are more likely to die than white women. And so I was really worried about that. And then having a black boy, like there's so many things that cross my mind. Um, but on the positive, I think that it's good that it's allowed people to feel comfortable speaking about, you know, this subject and allowing, like, you know, white women and white people in general to not only be educated, but to educate themselves on what we go through and also to kind of think about, and just to think, do you know what I mean? Because... I feel like where um, I don't know, where you obviously where you don't go through it. Why would you think about it? Like if we weren't in a lockdown, if the George Floyd didn't happen and we weren't in lockdown, nobody. It would just be you know another black man that's killed in America. Because let's face it, black men are killed in America every day. Like they've been killed before George Floyd and after. But because the world had stopped at that point, everybody was you know listening and got to think about and also got to reflect and in terms of like um my business I was like I remember my husband asked me he's like do you think that you would have got into selfridges if it wasn't for um Black Lives Matter and I was like no I I don't know why but I just like I feel like now people are open do you know what I mean to not just small brands but black brands kind of thing but I just don't think like normally you know like in Selfridges what I would see is like there will be black brands there where there's like Africa an African event not just a Christmas event that is based on summer it's in California because really like it's nothing to do with black or African isn't it like it's normally that so I was like I just don't I feel like at that I feel like for me everything was like perfect timing do you know what I mean I contacted them at the right time I'd been in Selfridges I'd researched what was going on you know, obviously the whole Black Lives Matter movement was, you know, in full force at that time. They probably Googled me and saw that I was black and maybe had an, do you know what I mean? Had, you know, thought about, thought about maybe their actions over the years or what they could do to kind of push black businesses. But um, yeah, I was just like, I don't, I just don't imagine that it would have happened without that happening. But, um, but I mean, I mean, it's a good thing that a lot of people are thinking and, are reflecting and um yeah like even not about my business but my mum she sells black dolls and um she has had like since black lives matter like that period of time for about six months her orders were like constant and it was a lot of white women all over the country not that that not ones that just have um, mixed race kids but ones that have white kids and she was like never before had she had like white women buying her dolls and then posting the pictures of their kids and you know like having a chat that kind of thing so um yeah I mean it's about it's bad but it's good because positive things have come from it 
That's good to hear. Thanks for sharing. How does your mum feel about it? Would she agree with that, do you think? Yeah, 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 she would agree. Yeah. And as well, like, yeah, because it was normally just black women buying them and they will buy it for their like mixed race grandkids. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, she yeah, she agrees. And she must be happy that change is happening for your career now and for your son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she is definitely happy about, happy because about of her it. own. Yeah. Because of her own experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what's next for you? Uh, so for me next, I um, want to do workshops next. Um, also, like I'm holding, <laughs> this is really random, but um, I'm holding a, uh, it's, got, it's, it's kind of like a t-shirt party, but that's not what it's going to be called. It's an event where, we're, where people can come and design their own t-shirts. So um, that was another brain, actually that was my friend's brainwave. She told me, she's like, why don't you do this? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're a genius. It's like, why haven't you told me this? Yeah, because it's, it's all about experiences. Yeah. Now, isn't it? We've been in lockdown and we've, we've reached peak stuff. We strangled the planet and um, we bought all the stuff. So we don't want to buy stuff. We want to have experiences. Yeah. So I'm holding that. Um, it's going to be on the 8th of May. Haven't planned it all properly yet, but that is something that um happening going forward. So, yeah. I'm sure it'll be a great success. Keep in touch. Let us know how it goes. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Will do. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work, and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 